been lounging, lounging with Skipper. <laughs> You've been lounging, lounging with Skipper. Oh, yeah. Yo, 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 what's going on, peoples? This is Skip. You're lounging with Skip. Welcome y'all to another episode. At the present moment, I'm sitting here with, you know, a, a, a legend in the game. <laughs> there you go with that. Music producer, artist, um, father, um, uh, songwriter. I think that's enough. That's enough? <laughs> okay, okay. I'm sitting here with A-Tone. Hey, what's going on, everybody? I'm happy to be here with y'all with my man Skip. We here. Lounging with Skip. Lounging. You need to get in the lounge with us. You need to get in the lounge. Yes, sir. So, I want you to talk to me and tell me, um, you know, just, you know, start from your beginning. Wow, man. My beginning. Yeah, I often tell this story. You know, I first, um, I think the first, I got my beginning at church. The first time I ever went to church, I think I was five years old. So was this your introduction into music? In my observing? introduction into music, okay. yep. Okay. I was five years old, man. I went to um, church and I heard the, the Hammond organ. And I was mesmerized, dude. It like almost put me in a state of shock. That was like the first time I had ever really heard live music. And I remember telling my mother, I want to do that. Okay, at age five. At age five. I was locked and loaded, man. I went home, got me a skateboard out, started playing music, making music with my mouth with my little skateboard. Mm. Man, I did that probably till I was about six or seven, mm. you know, and then my mother got me a little keyboard. It probably had like three keys on it or something, but, you know, <laughs> it was an upgrade from my skateboard instead right. of riding it. You know, I should have been riding that skateboard, but okay. I was making music with it. Um, this is at age six. This is at age six. Okay. And then I could just, you know. What what what, what artists were out back then around that? Oh, what, wow, like, man. Like, what are your, some of your influences when you were six years old that you heard on, that your, that you heard on the radio and you were like, wow. Ironically, man, my mother didn't play the radio in the house. Okay. You know what I mean? We didn't really have no radio. It was just you go to church mm -hmm. and you come home. That was mm -hmm. it. So I didn't really have a lot of music influences. You know, probably my father, my stepfather, um, started playing like Marvin Gaye, mm -hmm. The Temptations, you know, Motown stuff. Every, you know, I'm a, I'm a 70s baby, so everybody had Motown, Stax, you know, so you got to hear Superfly and all that kind of stuff. So I started hearing that stuff, but my mother never really let us listen to it. She kept us kind of like honed in on the church thing. Okay. So, so at age six, you got this keyboard. I got this keyboard and drove everybody in the damn neighborhood crazy with it because it was just noise. Cause I, you know, they couldn't. It was either get piano lessons with no piano, mm. or have a keyboard and teach yourself. I okay. wanted the keyboard, so I just started teaching myself. You know, they, I struggled, you know, cause my hands were little. Mm. I could hear music in my in my mind, mm. but my hands couldn't do it. So I would okay. sit there and just cry, cause I hadn't developed the skill to be able to play the music yet. Okay. So you know, through just sitting there practicing, I pretty much taught taught my own self by just hearing it. And, you know, I had to just really just be able to pick up stuff really fast because I didn't have a lot of time to, to sit with my instrument. So, Do you remember, like, the first uh, melodies you tried to recreate with that keyboard? Um, yeah, I just tried to just, I mean, play stuff like Mary Had a Little Lamb. Okay. You know, stuff, just try to pick up stuff because, you know, during that process, 
in the school's public school system, they had um, music class on, in third grade, which is about six-ish, seven-ish. I started playing the flute, okay. and I picked that up, and it just real fast. Okay. And then my brother, I, I grew up three brothers. It was four of us. Everybody had a different instrument, so they didn't really care too much about it. So when my brother would put his trumpet down, I'll pick his trumpet up. I'm gonna play the trumpet. Okay. And my brother would put his clarinet down and go ride his skateboard. I'd pick up his clarinet. So I just was drawn to different instruments and different sounds. Through that, I kind of learned how to play and read music. You know, at school, on just on a basic level. This is but, grade school. Yeah, this is grade school. But the piano is different because it's, you, you're playing multiple sounds at once. Okay. With a single tone instrument, you just basically learning one note at a time. Okay. A piano is a whole nother ball game. Mm -hmm. Okay. So this led up to what? Like what, junior high? Yeah, that led up to like junior high. I started directing a choir because I could just hear music. So you, know, you were directing a choir in at seven. High. Yeah, at seven. At seven years old or seven? Se grade? No, seven. Seven years old. I started directing the choir and singing and, and just writing little songs. You know what I mean? At mm -hmm. church, everybody's like, "Oh, that's cute." He wrote a little song. Mm -hmm. You know, I was happy to be able to just do anything to be able to show my talent. So, um, yeah, I started because I could hear most people. I didn't know can't hear harmonies like I could just hear like I automatically heard one note and just knew where everything else would, would go with it I never um thought of it as a gift when I was young because my parents didn't play music so they didn't really understand it and then by you know that time I start picking out little songs and being able to play mm -hmm. and then that led into like high school and everybody was like wow you really you really can play you really can sing and you know one thing where, led to where, another where'd you grow up where'd you grow up man I grew up I tell people Man, I grew up in Compton, Watts, and in Inglewood, and like all of you know, when you poor, you move where you can you can live. Okay. You know, so you live with this auntie in Compton, that uncle in Watts. You know, we mm -hmm. poor, man. I grew up. I didn't have a lot when I grew up, man. Okay, okay. Um, so, junior high comes. Junior high comes. So what happens in junior high? In junior high, man, the rap game hit the scene. Okay. You know what I mean? Houdini I'm Houdini. Houdini, like. First rap ever, okay. like you know, hard time, don't, don't, don't you know, uh -huh. that uh -huh. type of rap where guys was just rapping on top of in instrumentals. That hit the street. Um, you know, my mother still, we still, you know, devout church people. She ain't, she ain't having it. Right. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, so I, I literally. So you had to sneak. I had to sneak and go try to get down with the guys. You know, I grew up in the same neighborhood as DJ Quick, Dr. Dre. All them guys were like guys I grew up with. They're like a little bit older than me. Mm -hmm. They're like my older brother's age. But I could still, I was the only guy that could actually play some music. So they would try to sneak me in the studio and do little stuff like that. But my mom just was not having it. So, you know, I started getting influenced, but not a lot. Okay. Um, and, you know. That's pretty much where I started getting my other influences, yeah, in junior okay. high school. When you say your other influences? Because um, most most of the music that I heard was church music, because my mother was not having no R&B, nothing in her house. She was devout. Christian lady was not having it. Okay. Only thing you can listen to was Edwin Hawkins, James Cleveland, and, um, you know, people like that. Okay. You know, so the, the actual first record, because by that time, and I'm in junior high, I'm actually playing music for a church, so they were paying me, think like, $25 a week or something like that which was a lot of money in that time you know the first record I bought was Square Biz man and I thought Tina I was Marie. In, Tina Marie I thought I was in heaven when you were that that, that woo don't 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 when I man I just yeah. that that flipped Square. me out Biz that was the first yeah. 
45 record I brought. Oh, so it was the 45. It was the 45. And okay. I had to sneak and buy that. Really? And we could only play it when she wasn't at the house because okay. she didn't allow different kinds of music to be in the house. So, so, yeah. so when you were that age, did you did you look at like the credits and see that, okay, like this like produced by or written by, or you were just tripping off the fact that this was Tina Marie and, and the actual music itself? I didn't even trip off of it was Tina Marie. I just liked the song, and the song made me feel good. I didn't really know who was singing it. I don't know who wrote it. I never really even paid any attention to that. I was just happy to be... Have to have a record, mm. you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So that was my thing with it. I, I wasn't really even drawn to that part of it. Okay, so this led up into high school. In high school, um, um me and my brother, we, we used to, you know, everybody, the rap game hit Compton. Okay. So I, we, you know, we're that church like, boys. That was, like, that that was, was the was, thing. That was in WA and all that was started hitting. NWA, all that stuff started to hit. The Battle Ram, you know, those type of guys. The songs were coming out. And, you know, MTV had just hit the scene. With your MTV rap. With your MTV rap. So if you could rap, you was cool. So me and my brother was like, you know what? this The church thing, we ain't hitting no girls with this. So we're going to have to learn how to do something okay. so we can be cool. Okay. So, you know, he started rapping. And I really didn't want to be in competition with him. So I started doing beatboxes and making beats with my mom. Mm-hmm. When we heard the little Dougie Fresh thing, we okay. thought we was the L.A. version of the Get Fresh crew. Right. You know, so... Okay. That started happening, and then guys at school would come, and we would just battle rap. And I would start. I was the guy that always made the beats for the rapper. So mm-hmm. that's how I got the name Atom because I could pretty much make any beat, any kind of way, wow. with my mouth. That came from practicing the piano on the skateboard because I couldn't. I didn't have a keyboard, so I would have to make the sounds with my mouth to try to have some music because the key, the skateboard didn't make any music. You was making music on a skateboard. Yeah. That's how I learned how to beatbox at like five. Okay, and then like beatboxing, yeah, I would just I would just sit there and make the music sounds with my mouth. Mm, okay, okay. So, <laughs> so high school. So that's how a tone came out. That's how a tone came out. Okay. Because I started doing the beatboxing and I got real popular in Compton with that. Then my parents we moved from Compton over to the West because I went to Dominguez High School in Compton, and then we moved over to the West Side and I wind up going to Dorsey High School. Okay. When I got to Dorsey, you know, I'm just the, the the big bad dude from Compton, right? So I get over here. I'm not knowing this dude's over here that's just as talented, right? Mm-hmm. So I get over here, you know, we start rapping, and we wind up battling with a couple of different crews, and then we wind up just kind of coming together as one crew, and we, we called ourselves the Tough Kid Crew. The you Tough know? Kid Crew. So all the basic, the good rappers got together, and then we started, instead of battling at our school, mm-hmm. we would walk over to Crenshaw or the L.A. High or the Manual Arts, and battle those guys because we got tired of battling each other at school. Now, around what year was this? Man, this was like, don't make me tell my age, man. This was like 86, 87. 86, 87. Yeah, dude. Wow. Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, so NWA really hasn't, they haven't hit just yet because Strata Compton came out in 88. Yeah. So they hadn't hit it, yet. But they were kind of, you know, they were kind of popping a little bit, but they mm-hmm. didn't really hit. So when that, when NWA um, started popping, you know, with after police, mm-hmm. things like that, and dope man and stuff like that. What, what kind of uh, scene was Compton in that in that moment for you? What was the vibe like? Man, Compton there? was rough and tough and gritty, man. 
you know, right now it's glorified, you know, with the NWA movie coming and Dr. Dre making billions with the Dre beats and all that kind of stuff. But, man, it wasn't a pretty scene, man. I didn't have a, it wasn't no easy road, dude. It was a lot of killing, a lot of shooting, a lot of poverty. You know, it was a lot of stuff going on. You know, I was, man, that, I was scared for my life every day walking to school, man. I didn't know if I was going to make it home or not. So, you know, and during those times, I wasn't thinking about making music. I was thinking about staying alive. You know what I mean? I was never really drawn to that. I never was a dude that liked fighting. I like playing music. I like girls. You know, I'm like, I'm going to be fighting, getting my knuckles busted up. So I never was drawn to that type of music or even that lifestyle. I could make the music because I was one of the guys who knew how to play, but I never was interested in, in, in that type of music, me, myself. So you graduated from high school, um, and then what happened? Well, while I was in high school, you know, I could play music, so I started getting all these little gigs and meeting guys. You know when you're little, you don't know nobody, man. I wind up working with, like, Cameo and people like that. But to me, they were just old dudes with jury curls. I didn't know who they were. Mm-hmm. And then um, um, the Gap Band used to own this club called Total Experience on Crenshaw. Okay. And I start, they would sneak me in there, and I would Charlie play. Wilson. Yeah, I would play them. And they actually took me up. When I was like, ooh, 15 or 16, up to the record label, and I got to meet them, and I started working with people like that. Mm-hmm. Marla Gibbs had a spot over here on um, King and and Van Ness. The Marla's, I forget what it was called, but I used to sneak in there and play, too. They would sneak me in, and we would do little gigs and open up and stuff like that. So Marla Gibbs, she was popping off from she the Jeffersons. From the Jeffersons, yeah, so I was doing stuff like that. In high school, I, I, I won a songwriting contest, and I wind up getting to go to Capitol Records, and I met this group. God, what was the name of that group? I don't even remember the name of the group, but I, I met Janet Jackson that night. She was just Janet, little Janet Jackson. Really? So, yeah, we ran around playing um, tag, and, you know, we still little kids. We ain't even thinking, like, this is Janet Jackson. We up at Capitol Records, and I'm meeting all these executives and all of these, you know, people, you know, that was already in the music industry. So I was already dealing with it at a high level I just came from a background where you know nobody knew what it was right right and you were like what 16 17 16 17 because then we was uh, um, in high school not to bring you back I met a guy named Glenn and um, you know he had a keyboard he had mm-hmm. he had a Juno a Juno 106 I and um I couldn't play no sports. We playing basketball. He beat me, talking smack. I was like, but I bet if we go to the band room right now, I can get you on a keyboard. He was like, I play keyboard. I've been taking lessons. I'm like, okay, let's go get it. Mm-hmm. Wind up wearing him out. He was like, oh, you should come over to my house after school, and I, I have a little studio. So we went over there. He had a little studio and everything. And then we started working and writing songs in high school. Mm, okay. And then we wind up meeting some other people that took us up. I forget what label. I think it was Motown. Okay. And um, I wind up somehow meeting Teddy Riley through that and mm. doing now, some now little during, work. Now, during this time, Teddy Riley just was hitting with, uh, yes. not Guy yet, but he was he was producing like Kumo D. Kumo D. And all, even yeah. that, before that, man, they were still doing, I mean, this is the old Sheila era. Mm-hmm. Oh, she... Yeah, with that... Ready, ver- ready, for, ready the for the world. world. Yeah, Melvin Raleigh. He's going to take you back. So, yeah. yeah, we was... Everybody was on that little thing right there. So, he had the exact keyboard because his parents had money mm-hmm. that they used to make that record with. Your boy, the, your boy, My boy the Glenn. Okay. okay. Yeah, so I just started making music with that thing. And we just, you know, we one thing led to another, man. And then we start 
play some little songs back in the day. Mm. And then subsequent to that, man, you can write a book with this. I want you to send me this because I need to put this in my book. No, that's what I am. And I'm still in high school. I know we're moving on, but I have to tell you this because in high school, I wind up going to play at this church mm. and DJ Rogers okay. was the was the keyboard player. Is that the dun, 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 dun. Say, okay. yeah, 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 yeah. Hold on. Yeah, DJ Rogers had a bunch of hits. Okay, he was he was related to the pastor something. Okay, and Shawnee's Wilson was there. My brother winds up dating Shawnee's Wilson. Okay, we wind up taking her in the studio with that one little keyboard and actually doing the first demo for her to get her deal now, for what, I no. Love Your Smile thing. Okay, Shanice. That's Shanice? Shanice Wilson, yes. I, would, I like your smile. Yes. So that song came out in 91. Yes. Okay, so we're basically working working the way up. <laughs> yeah. So we're working uh-huh. the way up. But we, were, we, had, we met Shanice. Gosh, she must have been 12, 13. Mm. I'm, I'm a little bit, yeah, a couple years older than her. So we were doing those demos then, and then that led into her getting her deal. Not even thinking... You know, I didn't had no business savvy whatsoever. I would just go write songs for people, play keyboards on stuff, and all these big records. And I would hear them be like, "Oh, I remember that, yeah." But I, I never was able to put it together. Mm. Does that have any business sense? So, so did any of your what you played then land on that first album? You know what? It might have. I'm not sure. It was okay. so long ago. I'm pretty sure it did because we were the reason that she got that deal. Don't tell me that. But, yeah, we were the ones that helped her put that demo together with DJ Rogers to help her get that deal. Okay. So here we are, 89, 90. Now you're, you finished high school. Mm-hmm. Now what happens to where, okay, it's like you're getting older now. You're getting more experience. I'm getting more experience. I'm writing with people, man. So what, know, what, what people were you writing with? What, what kind of songs were you writing? You know what happened? I got to tell this story. I, I I graduated. I started working at Kenny Shoes. Okay. Santa Monica Mall. So I started working there. And um, I was advancing in management and all that kind of stuff. And one day I just said to wasn't myself. Wasn't even thinking about music no more. Wasn't even thinking about music no more. After all, I just kind of just started living my life and... And I, I bought the first sampling keyboard was the Roland W30. Okay. No, Mirage was the first one. Okay. This was the first keyboard that had a sampler in it. Okay. So I saved up a money, enough money selling Kenny shoes, and I um, bought that W30 keyboard, and um, I would just stay up all night with it, and I just said, forget this, I'm doing music. So I just started doing music mm-hmm. at that point. With that, I made a couple of tracks, and I ran into this guy named Slice. Everybody in Long Beach know this cat, because he was the only cat in Long Beach that had a studio. Slice was the cat that had uh, Domino before anybody knew who he was. Now, you know, Domino's from St. Louis. Yeah. He's from St. Louis. Yeah, when when Domino came out here to L.A., Mm. he landed in Long Beach Mm, with my boy Slice. Slice wind up having Snoop, Mm. Drake, Daz. Drake? Not Drake. 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 Daz. Mm-hmm. Corrupt. Mm-hmm. All of the Long Beach cats came from that one little camp. Because okay. he was the only guy that um, had a studio back then. Because I think he was the first dude in Compton probably to get an SB1200. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and he had his own little studio. So everybody was making beats with him. Um, so I went out there and started hooking up with them. And start making, you know, because I could play. They had beat mas- machines. I could play keyboard, so I started working with all the rappers 
again in Long Beach. In Long Beach. Okay. Okay. Subsequent what, to that, what are some of the, um, you know, the guys back then, the names of them back then? Oh my, I mean, man, um, it's like I said, it was Domino. There was another guy. So named, were, were you part of that? Here we go, here we go. Da, da, da. That album was you. You were part of that album. I wind up doing the demo of that song, and then somebody else produced it for the record. Gotcha. But yeah, that record, you can yeah, that. yeah. Uh huh. I did a couple of songs. I probably did like four or five songs with Domino, and um, man, it's been so long. But yeah, that's how that thing started. And I ran into this guy named Stan Skates. Okay. Hooked up with Stan. I'm like, man, I'm out here with this W30 keyboard trying to make my thing work. He was like, well, I've been looking for a producer. I know a lot of people in the music industry. We should hook up. So I wound up hooking up with him. And um, I wound up living in his garage. I just never went home. I let my apartment go, everything. I just lived in the studio. I slept on the studio floor, dude. That's how bad I wanted it. And I just slept on the floor, man. And every day he would have little clients because he was the first person in Inglewood to have a a, a MPC 60. And he had a Soundcraft. He had the Mirage. You know, he 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 had a little money. So he had a really nice studio. So everybody would come. If they didn't go see Slice, they would come to Inglewood mm-hmm. and, and work with him. And then I started working with him. Okay. And so I started working with people like Vesta Williams, Brian McKnight. So um, they were coming by the studio? They would come by the studio because he was the only cat in town that had, he had a Studer, um 16-track machine, mm. a two-inch machine. Um, and then we had an MPC-60, which had a longer sample time. Because right. now, guys, with the SB-12s, you only had... You know, a minute of sample time, so you had to less slow. Than, less than yeah. that. Less than that. It was probably I think I think for thirty seconds. Less, less than, than that. that. Maybe about twenty <laughs> seconds. You know? So with that, so so cats will slow the the sample. They will down slow the sample down. Right. Right. Um, so I'm still writing, and he helped me develop. Or speed that. it up. They will speed, speed it, it up, and then slow it back mm-hmm. down. Right. So we're in there doing that, and then me and my brother, we started um, slowing the um, the eight oh eight snares down. Mm. And we would slow them down and make that that bass thing happen. Bass on the actual snare. Yeah. And so we had an SB12. We got rid of it, moved to the MPC, mm. and started putting them drum kits together on the MPC. And people started calling us the Boom Brothers because we were the ones that, in, in Inglewood and in L.A., started bringing that boom sound to the music. Because, mm. like, before then, when they would sample, you know, Roger, it was no 808 in there. It right. was doom, doom, you would just hear it like uh-huh. that, but we don't. We're, we started putting the 808s on stuff. Okay. So the street music now is starting to get the 808s in it because now cars, you know, the dope is on the street. People mm-hmm. getting sound systems in mm-hmm. their car, mm-hmm. and before you would see people riding by with the highs. Right. Well, we started putting the lows in there, and then people started rolling by now, knocking on the low end stuff. So I got popular for for flipping songs and adding 808s, okay. and we our, our group then was called. The Boom Brothers with my twin brother Chuck. Okay, all right, we got a twin brother. I twin brother, man, long. I know. <laughs> you might have to come. I might have to come back for part two of this podcast. So, man, yeah, we we started writing. I know we started writing and producing for everybody in Compton in L.A. Back then, it was big. The city was big because all of the music came from regular guys. Mm-hmm. And then you had Troop came out. They was Pasadena yeah. guys. 
you had a whole bunch of LA rappers. Ice Cube would come through there. Coolio came through there. It's a funny story. I, no, I won't tell it on the no, podcast. No, I won't tell you because he. You know, no, I'll leave it. Anyway, when I met Coolio, let's just say one of the songs that he got rich on, I was in the studio working with that song. When so tell me this. Okay, okay. So so so, yeah. so tell me this. Okay, so. One of the what 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 uh, I ain't what, gonna say it. Okay, we just gonna leave it. Okay, so one of the songs. So, uh, how did that work for you? I I didn't no? know there was a sample. Mm. I didn't know, dude. You know what I mean? Okay, so explain it. Talk about that. So people that are listening, you know, what I'm saying they hearing they hearing this and they're like, man, well, I don't want. I want to make sure. Like, what is something to for you know producers out there to make sure that they up on they they stuff you, you know, know you really have to spend a lot of time as much you know being a creative person my love is in creation um it was just in me it's born in me but you know i had to come to and we could talk music stories for hours but we'll come back on we another talking. day <laughs> we but talking. Here, here's you have to learn the business part of it if you want to make money. For me, my desire in my life for a long time was I just want to make music. And I did that, and I was very successful at it. I never added the I want to get paid off my music part to making it. I didn't get that until later on in life. So it depends on what you want. I mean, out of all the songs I wrote, I had to have written some big songs. I wish I knew more about the the money part of it back then and how people were getting paid and the, how the money was going. Mm-hmm. You know, that's one part of it. But I wouldn't trade that in for the experience. You understand what I'm right, saying? Right. It's like I may not have gotten the experience of working with all the people I work with if I made money the issue in that deal. Mm. Because sometimes guys go in and they do have a dope track. They do have something that's really, really hot. Mm. But... They go into money hungry, and then the people get turned off, and then mm. the whole deal falls apart. Mm. So sometimes the experience of the deal and and that part of it is almost as worth as much as the money is mm. in a different way, okay. if it makes any sense. Yeah, it does. It does make sense. I mean, just the experience and the stories of it. You know what I'm saying? So where did certain things turn around to where you say, you know what? I, I, I need to like figure out how to get money from this and this that happened way later, man. I because I you know after working with Stan, you know we met some people. This lady was like, you know, you know, Babyface is starting a label out in California, and I think he might be interested in signing you guys. Well, whatever. Mm-hmm. So, and this is when you know Babyface was the man. Okay. So we wind up meeting with Babyface and um, working it out, and we wind up getting a deal with Sony Five Fifty. Okay. And I got a. Um, I was one of the first people on the West Coast to get an artist publishing production writing deal. Now, how does something like that work? <laughs> so, so like something like that. Like, how does something like that work to where you got like an upfront check? Yeah, because okay. I, I got an artist check. Because I got like two hundred and fifty thousand dollars on each one. There we go. Two hundred fifty thousand as an artist. Two hundred fifty thousand from publishing. Two hundred and fifty thousand as a producer and two hundred and fifty thousand as a writer. So a million. I had a million dollar yeah, deal. A million dollar deal. Million dollar deal, and I was nineteen years old. Nineteen years old with a million dollar deal. Okay, so continue. But that's what that's what the game was back then, right? So I started writing for everybody: um, Tony Braxton, After Seven, Tevin Campbell, Tamia. You know, on, on Babyface, on basis Babyface's level, and I co-wrote a whole bunch of songs, and Ghost wrote 
a whole bunch more. Like some of the big, big, big records on Waiting to Exhale. Mm. I was a very big part of those records mm. happening with, with Whitney Houston and Tony Braxton and Brandy. And I mean, I've worked with so many people, dude. It, it sometimes it makes my head spin. I, I even worked with David Hasselhoff and you know from from Baywatch mm. on a record. You know, produced that for overseas. Um, and and. By that time, I'm 22, 23. I'm starting to kind of get a little bit aware of the game. I'm like, man, everybody getting broke off. You know, I was getting my advances, but I wasn't getting my publishing money. Right. And I didn't know nothing about that. So I would just sign songs off and sign, oh, here's $25,000 for this, when it should have been, you know, here's, you're going to get 50% of this and we're going to split. I just didn't know. To what a residuals would just be rolling in. The resid- for, for your lifetime, when right. you don't know, you don't know, and you don't know what you don't know, so mm-hmm. you can't know it. So in a situation like that, if you did know, could you have just been like, no, nah, hold on to that. How about you just give me this percentage of, you know, writer's share, blah, 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 work that, Yeah, that, I mean, I got some of my writing, not the way that I should have. Mm-hmm. But again, the experience of being on the record, sometimes you got to give something up to get something. They're not going to put you on that record if they're not making money on it, too. Mm-hmm. A lot of guys don't realize that, that everybody on that record has to be able to make money, including the record label. Right. So some things you got to give up because there's no way for the record label to make money if you don't. Or mm-hmm. the person that brought you in, they're not giving you a fee. There's so many talented people out there. They could use anybody. They're using you, so you're going to have to give up a piece to that. You got to give up a piece to the person you was working with, slept with my man's floor for five years to get my you know what I'm saying I got to pay him so there's a lot of even though you getting big money it take money to make money you know what I mean so I wanted I had a lot of people I had to pay to make that money too so, so when you walked so 19 years old walking with a million dollar deal you had to recoup that they had to recoup they had to recoup before you could start <laughs> there you go with so that yeah so how long did that take well we I finished a seven year cycle with them they wind up closing down the label and um but in the middle of that, I wind up going out on tour with Dana Ross okay. and writing songs with her and for her and getting in that camp. So it's like basically one thing just led to another. So song. after the seven year. No, I'm in the middle of the seven year. Yeah, like maybe old. when I was like 25, 26, in the middle of it, in the height of it, I started writing songs for Dana Ross and we were in the studio. And she's like, oh, you want to go on tour with me? I'm like, yeah, whatever. You know, I'm thinking she playing. Mm-hmm. She's like, oh, give me your address. So I gave her my address, and she's like, okay, I'll send the tickets in the mail. I'm thinking she playing. Mm-hmm. I get home, a carrier comes, here's your tickets. they like, here's the itinerary. It's like six months of tour dates, and they like, you leave it Monday. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> I'm leaving out of Larrabee. Get to my house. It's already there. I so, went and got so, me. Oh, so, so, okay, so you all were over at Larrabee. I'm at Larrabee North, brother, with Diana Ross. In, in North Hollywood. In North Hollywood. We wrote a song called Don't Stop, and there's a rap in there. She was like, would you guys be interested in singing this song with me on tour? Sure. Like, Whatever. We thinking we going up to the Hollywood Bowl or something, man. The first tour date was in Fort Myers, Florida, because I had never really you know, didn't a whole bunch of traveling or nothing like that. Mm-hmm. I'm from Compton. So, you know, I get me a little rusty suitcase mm-hmm. and get on an airplane, mm-hmm. get there. My suitcase is all broken by the time I get mm-hmm. there. So, you know, and that, that was a whole nother 10 year music journey. And I got to meet Michael Jackson. I got, so to you meet, was on tour. I was on tour with Diana. Ross, What's that brother. tour life like? With man, Diana tour Ross. life is out of control, bro. I just, man, it was, it was wild. It was wild, brother. And, and she was she was doing sold out shows and every all. night sold out across the world. I went across the world with her, dude. Not just 
America, dude. We went to China. We went to Russia. We went to Japan. And we would stay like four or five months in a country just hitting every spot. Germany, every spot. Uh, Austria. Did you ever did you ever, did you ever get like, you know, homesick, wanted to come back home? Absolutely or? not. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Really? I didn't get homesick, man. I mean, well, I lived like a king, man. Diana Ross was really good to me, man. I you know, she would never really stand the sweets, so she would give me the sweets everywhere we went because she'd fly back home in her private jet. So I would get the presidential suite. I would get, man, king. Live like a king, man. Man. <laughs> so, we'll have a we'll have another talk on a tour talk. <laughs> we ain't gonna have that talk today, okay. but we'll have a tour talk. So 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 when you finish with Diana, you come back. You know when I States, get back, got back to LA. You know shortly after that, nine eleven happened. People stopped touring. I got married and started raising my family, and man, start driving a school bus. Yeah, yeah. I just you know. I knew that I couldn't get it at that level again. Mm. Um, so I was like, I don't even want to do that. So I just started raising my family. I got married, had kids, and just started doing different stuff. So, <laughs> so I mean, the music is just kind of... Okay, so hold on a minute, hold on a minute. So you're an artist, though. Uh-huh. Okay, so let's talk about the artist in you. So the artist part, you know, I've always had a love for music, you know, growing up in the church. So when I got back off tour, I put together, like... A gospel group. Yeah. Here's another experience that could have paid off. And I started doing hip-hop gospel. Because okay. nobody had ever heard of that. Because I had been in New York hanging out with Puffy and hanging out with all of these. Yes, I know all of those cats. Mm-hmm. So I started bringing that, the rap thing now, into the church. I was one of the first guys to bring the rap thing into the church. They didn't like. They was kicking me out. I came in there with jerseys, hats to the back. Yeah. Girls got on pants. We brought a DJ in there like it was a nightclub and just ripped the church apart. And every the people loved it, but the pastors was like, Mm-mm, "We ain't having it." So I started doing that after I got off tour with Dana Ross, and so I went back into the gospel thing. And then I started working with Vicky Mac over at Gospel Centric. Start, you know, kind of doing stuff with Kirk Franklin and Trinity 5-7 and just doing the whole gospel thing and really just being a pioneer in bringing that whole sound to the market because it didn't even exist. Mm. So, cause I, so the album that you have that's out right now, when did that come out? The one that I have out now, well, I put that one out maybe a couple years ago. Okay. I'm getting ready to release my new record, which is a little bit, it's kind of like a culmination of everything I just told you into one piece. Um, you know, Touring with Dana Ross and being on the stage with Michael Jackson and doing tour dates like that, and you see the world at, at its height of entertainment, you know, sometimes church can be really small and really self-centered, mm. you know. And so my new project, the Heat Check Project, it's just like... It's called the who? Heat Check. Okay. It's just... It's, it's different. You have to listen to it. It's inspirational um, soul music. Okay. I'll put it like that. What's the name of the last album that came out? The last album that came out was called CPR, the Crazy Praise Record. Again, we bring in the rap, we bring in the DJs, we bring in the you know the talk box, the Antares, all yeah, the tunes. Yeah, because when I heard it, you know, what I'm saying it was it it, 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 it was like the vibe of it was like Kirk Franklin. Yeah, it was like real like yeah. Come on, y'all. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like it was really uplifting and really like party vibe, mm-hmm. but still kind of um, church feel to it, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? 
So that's the lane that you're in as an artist, A-Tone the artist. Yeah, this record is a little bit different than that one, though. It's, it's a progression, because this record is not really so much about church. It's more about you and how you relate to life as a person okay. and how the creator, in whichever way you choose to view him, your relationship with that, which okay. is a bigger platform. It, it's, it's more encompassing. Okay, okay. So, um, and they can find that on all the streaming outlets. On all the Spotify, streaming outlets, Spotify and all that. Apple Music. It's going to be up. It's going to be up real soon. And you can go to atonebryan.com and get it, put a website up and, and develop it and build in that. And, and that's leading us to where we are now, where's the money side. Right. The money side of stuff I, I learned in the last five years about how to own your rights to your music, mm. how to publish your own music how to do your shares, how to set up BMIs and ASCAP and, and that kind of stuff and, and so that you can have somebody collect your money for you mm -hmm. and really just become an, an owner of your music mm -hmm. and not just giving it away to somebody to own it. It's, it's, it's really a lot of information and that's a whole nother podcast. You know, how do you gain ownership of it? Yeah. So what's something... Okay, so well, before we, I get into that question, where do you see yourself going from now? into the next like five years, 10 years from now? Well, I'm, I'm moving to a lot of different veins. I've, I've been a person, like I said, I've done everything from flying in Learjets to driving buses. So my life spectrum is just kind of big. Um, you know, with the social media thing, I, I just look at trends. You know, I've always had a, you know, a, a optimistic mind to be able to kind of look at stuff and see where it's going and be able to capitalize on what's the next thing. You know, when I look at social media and I look at the cell phones and how music is interacting with everything, you know, I'm, I'm developing content now. Okay. It's not so much as I'm writing a song. Mm -hmm. I'm developing content and content behind the song. The song is not just a song. It's, it's a movement. It's it has more to it than just you listen to the song. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because now it's about creating buyers. Okay. And so what I'm doing now is creating websites, create my music is is to lead you into becoming a partner with me in some kind of way mm -hmm. in a financial way. Now I know we've been having conversations as far as like, you know, streaming different streaming outlets mm -hmm. and things of that nature. Um um can you speak on that for the listeners that are listening? Because I know you're very informative as far as coming up with different ways. Of yeah, different because, and again, because the market right now is so saturated, everybody's a producer, everybody is a rapper, everybody is a singer. The market is just completely saturated with content. So what you have to do now is figure out how to get your content to people that want to hear your content. That's going to be your challenge. But the, the, the real way you get paid off of it is taking the time out, and I call it the back door, and create your back door. How does your money flow? Mm. You know, when you create this song, having your ISRC code in there, if you're going to create a CD having a barcode on it, so if it scans, you can get paid off of it. It's not can you create the content, it's how do I get paid off of it, and how do I get it to my people so that I can get paid off? Right. So that's what the challenge is now with the new and there's money everywhere. There's yeah. money to be there's made. Money flowing everywhere. Everywhere. You just have to set it up through whatever distribution you're exactly. going through. Um, and you know, as far as with um, you know, with sound exchange or even with, you know, ASCAP, mm -hmm. things of that nature. Um, 
because like I mean I'm the product that I release is through CD Baby mm-hmm. so I I see like the YouTube um, licensing mm-hmm. from the music getting played and then not only that but when my when I see check my royalties my quarter royalties for ASCAP then I'll see on there like YouTube yeah you know what I mean? and a lot of people don't know this they just upload they saw on the YouTube mm-hmm. get 150,000 streams or views on it mm-hmm. but don't make a dime off of it because they didn't put an IRC code in there they yeah. didn't you know link it to anything there's yeah. no way for them to get paid so YouTube gets that money and I don't know what they do with it but they don't send right. it to you as a courtesy like oh you forgot to put your ISRC here's a check for $200,000 so a lot of people are leaving money on the table mm-hmm. because they don't know the information so you know and I had to learn the hard way mm-hmm. you know even if somebody asks you hey send me a song put the IRC code in there so if they try to use it or sample it that digital code is in that song Okay, so when someone says, how do you put the ISRC code in on a song like that? It depends on your platform. If you're working in Fruity Loops, if you're working in... Um, I got you. Yeah. It depends. You know, I use Studio One. There's a whole little page in there that'll show you how to put it in there. You know, if you don't know how to um, get a code, just go online and type in their ISRC codes, mm-hmm. and they'll send you one. It doesn't cost a lot of money, but you're talking about making millions and you don't want to spend $30 or $100 to secure your million, then you don't really want to make money. And that was my problem. I didn't even know that you could do that. Mm-hmm. But now that I know, man, I take every effort in, that I can to make sure that my music is secure and that I'm protecting what I created. Mm-hmm. So to basically sum everything up um, as far as listeners that are listening to producers, songwriters, basically stay on top of your game. Stay on top of your game. It's It should be called the business music and not the music business. Mm. If you want to get paid, you better learn the business part of it. And the business changes constantly. It's not like you can go read the Don Passman, everything you need right. to know about the, the music, music industry business. and get in the game yeah. now and think that's yeah. going to work. Yeah. It don't work like that now. Right. The game is completely different, dude. Yeah. You got to learn the social media game. You got to learn the streaming game. You got to learn, you know, the, the, the publishing game. You got to learn the copyright game. I mean, there's so many things you got to do now because... It's, it's interesting when you look on, like, Instagram, you see people that post videos and they mm-hmm. get, like, all these thousands of videos. It's like, man, what if there was a way to get paid off of that? There is a way to get paid off of it. You just views. There's a way to get paid off of it. You just have to know how to how to set your page up. What people are doing, I'm gonna give you this for free, is you're putting your whole song up there. Hmm. Don't do that. Put a piece of the song on there, and then put a link in there and say, if you want to hear more of this song, Hmm. press this link, which will take them to your iTunes or take them to another page or someplace else where they can purchase it. And what you have to start doing is turn those viewers into buyers. Now, you're not going to turn everybody into one. Mm-hmm. But if you're getting 3,500 likes on a picture or on a, on a song, mm-hmm. some of those people will buy. Mm-hmm. And so you got to turn those people. If you never ask them to buy, yeah. they're not going to buy. Because if you do like the, um, what's it, the, 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 the law of average, which is if you got 3,500 people liking something, 10% of those people are willing to buy and 10% of 3,500, what is 35? There you go. So if you got a song for 99 cents for a dollar, look at 35 bucks. We used to make 35 bucks off those 3,500. And that's low. What if you had a whole CD available and they could pick through it and your record is hot and you make $10 off of it every, bur- every person that yeah. clicks on that thing? Yeah. And there's ways you can set up 
likes and clicks with other companies. There's man, I ain't gonna give it all to you. There's a way that you can get paid off them likes and them clicks. Do your research on it. If you're getting 3,500 likes and clicks and you're not making no money off of that, call Skip and have him call me. <laughs> well, you know what? Since, since we're getting to that, look, since we're getting to that, let everybody know how they can reach you if they want to, you know, contact you or where they can follow you and things of that nature. You can follow me on Instagram at Atone Bryant. You can follow me on Facebook at Atone Bryant. You can go to my website at atonebryant.com and you can follow me there. I don't really do Twitter a lot yet because my hands are so full with the other things I'm doing, but I'm also Atone Bryant on Twitter. You can find me if you if you look type Atone Bryant in your browser. You can find me and you know I do consultation and I do sit down with people and talk to them about how you can generate money with what you're doing because that's right now that that's what it is. Don't be like me and just create music to create it to have fun. Now you know and I had to have that gut check you know because I came to I'm like man I'm making all this music but I'm not getting paid and you know. Something said to me, you never said you wanted to get paid. You only said you wanted to make music. You know, so you have to be careful. And, uh, you know, these I'm writing books and stuff now, too, about how your mindset and what you ask for determines what you get. And a lot of people don't know that. Only thing I said when I was a kid is, I want to make music and I want people to love it. And I did make music and people did love it. But I forgot to add up and I want to get paid off of it, too. Because if I would have added that in there when I went into it subconsciously, I would have been asking, well, how do I get paid off of this? Mm. And we don't do that because we don't ask the right stuff to the universe. Mm. So you got to basically put out what it is you really want. You got to put out what you really want because most of the time we get what we want. And then we get mad. And then when we go back and look at the prayer that we pray, we Mm. realize, oh, yeah, this this kind of is what I pray for. I wanted a girl that was just pretty. Mm. Yeah, but she didn't make no money and she had a bad attitude. Mm. But that's life and that's the experience. Mm. So you have to go back and repray and say, you know what? I want a girl that's pretty, that have good attitude, that got money. She keep that. That's maturity. Right. And that's where mentorship come in with people like you mm. and myself talking to the younger generation. Like, hey, ask for the right stuff. Mm. Ask for the right stuff. If you do that, you'll get it. Trust me, it works. Ask for the right stuff. Listen, Natone, man, I appreciate you, man. <laughs> I appreciate you, man, for no lounging with Skip, man. You know what I'm Anytime, saying? Anytime, brother. You know I had to hit you up, you know what I'm saying, to bring you in, to, to, to get you in on the podcast. You know what I'm saying? I just appreciate My the pleasure, fact that you brother. came through to just rap with the people. You know what I mean? Definitely. You know what Thank saying? you All for good. having me, man. All love to your you. podcast. And, yeah, you know, yeah. for your podcast, yeah. when you pray tonight, mm. ask for what you want it to mm. be. If you want it to be a TV show on a major network, mm-hmm. ask that. Don't say, I just want to have a podcast. Because guess what will happen? I'll just have a podcast. you just have a podcast. Hey, and on, <laughs> and on that note, <laughs> and on that note, I want to thank y'all for listening. Until next time, peace. We out. <laughs>